Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It's my great pleasure to welcome an old friend, actually he's not that old, but a friend of very long standing, Rabbi Ari Katz. Rabbi Katz has a very significant position today with the Yeshivat Hezder in Sderot, which is a community that many of us have visited, not because necessarily it's a great tourist attraction, but because it's a place which teaches you what it really means to be a chalutz and to really make a difference living in Medinat Israel. And also his position there is in charge of the overseas program and also public relations. But we also go back a long time to when he was a shaliach in Memphis and would come up on summers to Camp Moshevam in Wildrose. And then back in the time when he was back at Yeshivat Karen Biyavna as an assistant mashkiach for the overseas students. And then when he moved to Gush Katif in 2004, and he was writing a blog that was picked up by the Jerusalem Post in those days, until finally, unfortunately, after the disengagement, uh, he had to leave Gush Katif, went back to Karen Biyavna, and now he is at the Yeshivat Tezder of Sterot. So Rabbi Katz, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, it's Erev Purim, so now, just this brings me more simcha to see you, Rabbi Metenki, which, like you said, we've known each other for 30 years, and I owe you a lot. You, you taught me a lot. Well, I, I thank you, and uh, we've had a wonderful time together. And you have actually a connection to KINS that most people don't know about, and that's your father. If uh, Your father was from Miami, and your father's bar rabbi, who was right. officiated at his bar mitzvah, was Rabbi Moses Meshulov. Okay. That's right. Yeah, they years. So I still remember one time when he came to visit and all of a sudden he saw Rabbi Meshulov. I don't know if he knew up front that Rabbi Meshulov was the Rabbi Emeritus and the two of them had an opportunity to interact. So your connections with us go way back before I was around and you were around. <laughs> so let me go back a little bit in history for a moment. Sure. Uh, because we met, obviously, when you were living in the United States, when you were in Memphis, you had a wonderful Talmud, I understand, some, some young man named Ruvain Stein or something like that in the, in the yeshiva in Memphis. But um, then when you went back, and you went to Gush Katif. When, all, when things were heating up, why did, you, why did you go back then? Well, you know, I think you, know, you got to know me my summers in Mosheva. And, uh, well, the story is a funny story, how it started. I saw an ad in the paper. This was already, like you said, this was already, I saw the ad, I think it was uh, April 2004. It was uh, already when the disengagement plan was on the table, like we say. Uh, and uh, I saw an ad in the paper. They're looking for a Rosh Hashiva of the boys' high school. Now, I didn't, I didn't tell anyone. I just sent my resume. I didn't tell my wife. didn't tell anyone. I just said, I'll send it. And... Like I, I, I said, I, I blame, I blame, quote unquote, my parents for really educating me. Though know, they made Aliyah when I was twelve, in nineteen eighty. So uh, I got, I think, uh, you know, uh, my DNA. They really gave me that Sionut, that hardcore Zionism. Maybe I took it a step further, even. And you know, when things are happening like that, I was always, you know, I would say I considered myself. Someone too, you know, that, that loves the land, that wants to do things. And this was an opportunity that I saw precisely because of what was happening there to uh, make a difference, make a change. Now, I didn't know I was going to get the job, but I said, like we say, shlach lach mecha, you know, let's see what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does. Um, now, that also was a very, I think, right afterwards 
was one of the most, tra most tragic stories with the Hatuel family. That's when the, the mother and the four children were shot dead by terrorists on the road out of Gush Katif. That also happened right around that time. And uh, I got the call. I even remember when it was. I think it was, I think, Lagba Omer. They told me to come down to interview. And I came and, like, the rest is history. Um, uh, and we ended up moving uh, that summer, summer of 2004. Now, I tell everyone this, and I think I told you this also, that when we moved to Gush Katif, I believed, really, that we would be there for the long run, like we say. I really believed that whatever they were talking about back then would not happen. Because I brought examples, and I think I wrote that in the blog, and I, when I spoke about it afterwards uh, to different uh, you know, groups, if it was children, if it was kids in school. Or, and I always said that there were so many plans, and I don't have to tell you this, you know Israeli history, it was giving back the Golan to the Syrians, giving this, and it, always, it was always talk, 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 and nothing happened. So I thought the same thing would happen here. And of course, whatever happened, happened, that it didn't happen like that. And it, and you know, tragically, like you said, we had to leave that at the end of the summer of 2005. But I always tell people that year, it was only a year, but that was a year in quantity, but in quality, it was not enough for a lifetime what it taught me. And I remember reading your blogs because when you open up the, the Jerusalem Post online and all of a sudden there's a blog by Rabbi Ari Katz that we know and he's in the thick of things and describing it. I still remember it, which is what uh, why we talked during that time as well. Yeah, well, well, I always said that blog was my therapy. That after a long day in the yeshiva with the boys, I used to go into my office and just write and write and write. And like you mentioned, you know, and I told you that beforehand, um, you know, it was a very hard time emotionally. And, uh, you know, people that would write me and the comments they would make would always give me chizuk. A phone call from you, which I remember, it was almost, it's going to be 16 years this summer. And I was telling you, I remember the exact words that you said. You called me, first of all, I was so happy to see you know, when you called that it was you and that you said to me that, you know, you were never someone to stand on the sidelines. And, you know, the fact that you're in the game, so to say, you know, just stay strong. And those words, those few minutes on the phone really, you know, gave me chizuk and we needed chizuk back then. And I say to people, Adayomazet told today, hopefully what we went through then, 16 years ago, taught people, taught us that will hopefully never happen again, the same situation. Are you still in touch with the people who were in Gush Katif who were resettled? And well, I live the community that I live in. So basically, I don't like to use to use the word resettle, but we've been living now in a place called well, now it's called Karmei Katif. That what we tried to do is that legally that the the the, the new communities that were made uh, would carry the name of the communities in Gush Katif. So you have some that kept their exact names, Ganei Tal, which is located near the Kibbutz Chafetz Chaim, it's Ganei Tal. Uh, Netzer Chazani, which was, the, which was near us in Gush Katif, which is located by uh, uh, Moshav Yisodot, uh, also kept the name. So we changed it a little bit, Karmei Katif. We're located by Moshav Amatzia, which the closest city to us is Kirat Gat, which is around 10 minutes away. I would say 80% of the community back in Gush Katif moved here. And Baruch Hashem, the community has grown that we're now over 120 families, just people that came just afterwards from all over. We've been here now um, just after Gush Katif, so it's been around 14 years. Uh, we, we were in these caravillas 
for uh, 10 years of them, which must be two years the government promised us. So it took us around 10 years to build our homes. We've been living now, this Pesach, Hashem, will be now four years that we're living in our house. And, and by and large, most, you know, we remember the tragedy, not only of the disengagement, but also what happened afterwards where people were dislocated and there wasn't housing and there weren't jobs. Rev. Ramon's effort at that time for right. Jam Katif. Have things, have the people who went through that experience, do they have jobs? They have places now? Have things finally been taken care of? So, Rabbi Teki used the word finally. So, like you say, you know, you tell the story anywhere else, it's been 16 years. You would hope that finally people have. So, Baruch Hashem, I would say, I think the last time they even spoke about this, uh, it was like 90% of the people have jobs and have homes. There are still, you know, I don't know if it's 10%, a little less, that I say surprisingly, shockingly, that still don't have set jobs that but you, i think i think it's important to mention that afterwards there were people that we talk about you know long lasting symptoms from the corona lahav deal from covid there are also low lasting symptoms that happened from from you know people the kids had to go see you know professional help there were families that fell apart you know unfortunately there were people also health-wise that it affected them. I would say Baruch Hashem today, 16 years later, I think the people, the majority of the people, thank God, are on their two, uh, really standing. They're okay. I think what makes them okay, what's helped them is to, to be together, to stay together afterwards. We always, Our Yishuv, I can tell you, always has a memorial. Um, the day that we left, that's in the summer. We always commemorate it. Uh, we talk about it. I happen to be, I, I will say this because for me, it was an honor to be called upon. There is a committee, which is called the the, I would, the Heritage of Gush Katif, that is really run by the prime minister's office. I had to go through a whole uh, uh, process, I had to fill out things, and they had to question me to be, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nonprofit organization, and I'm one of the members now of the, com of, of, of the management over there. So for me, that was a big honor to be asked to be that. Even they're only there. I was only living there a year, but uh, so I think everyone still feels very connected. There's still a lot of work that people are doing to commemorate it. There's the museum in Nitzan. There's museum in Yerushalayim, and I think it's something which we you know have to always remember. We're coming up now to you know of Purim tomorrow night, and then Pesach. Our whole history is based on remembering, 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 remembering. That's what's kept us going. Those are the six words I think. That was became the slogan of Gush Katif, and it's 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 correct to use it even for Purim for Pesach. Am Hanetzach Lo Haruka. The eternal people are not afraid from a long journey, and I think that's what makes us special, Am Yisrael, that we're the eternal nation because we remember. Now, you now live where you work now in Sterot, so you you jumped from one unusual circumstance to a community that's known as an unusual place. And I mentioned to you before we went, went on live that when I was reading the materials from Yeshiva, one thing that's, that struck me was the fact that it writes in the materials that the Beit Midrash of the Yeshiva that you work in was constructed of 1,500 tons of cement. Yes. Uh, it's, um, it says completely rocket proof. Now, I don't know any other Yeshiva in the world 
that has that as an opening line to describe their buildings. Um, what's what's it been like recently? Are you know have the rockets stopped? Have they slowed down? Is it feeling safe? What's, what's going on? So, so I think first of all, Baruch Hashem, thank God. I think we're the only yeshiva that has to have that in the world because uh, that that that's maybe our our uh, you know we're we're proud of that on one hand, but. Of course, it's because of reality. So you asked a very good question about what's happening now. So, um, like the whole world, we're, the the our you know uh, cousins across the border are also going through COVID. And uh, you know, we used to the, 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 the a few months ago they said the numbers it was really bad over there. No one's sure exactly how, how bad it is over there, but that that has definitely uh, caused us to benefit that uh, the Rockets, this year has been a very quiet year. Uh, thank God um, there really hasn't been, over the summer there were a few, uh, but uh, altogether since last, it's been a year. So the last Rocket that really people remember was right around now, the end of February. And it, why do we remember it? Because it fell right by the yeshiva. Right by, the, there was a playground, right? That's right by the yeshiva. And when it fell, we, of course, the, the red alert siren went on and uh, we all ran. And uh, my office, per se, is not protected. It's one of the few places I have to run to one of the dorm rooms. And when we heard the explosion, we knew it, it had to, it, it sounded that it fell very close, very close by. And we ran outside and we saw smoke coming from right behind the, the dining room, the kitchen. And uh, yeah, it hit. There was uh, in the in the playground. There was a Tevat Noah. There was a Noah's Ark. Thank God there were no children out that day because there, those were days that there was it was very tense. Uh, but the bottom line was it destroyed the whole Tevat Noah. Uh, destroyed the destroyed the whole thing. It even blew out the windows in the kitchen there. But that was really the last. You know, there wasn't the last rocket that fell. I think it was a rocket that fell in the summer. But I want to tell one anecdote just to see you tell about the yeshiva that it's the only yeshiva that has that much cement, but I want to tell a story just that people should realize a dilemma that, that was very real during the summer, during COVID. So you had uh, people living in Steyrot that I think was a Friday night that the siren go goes off, the red alert goes off, and now you have, a, you have, a, you have now to make a choice. You're, you're a family. One of the family might be quarantined, and they might use as the quarantine the safe room in the house. You know, every house has a safe room in Steyrot that you go in there when but it's also used as a bedroom usually. It's also used. Now, it could very well be that at the time when the siren went off, there was one of the members of the family was in quarantine there. Now, what do you do? Pick your poison. Choose your poison. You go, if, if you don't go into the room there, a rocket, God forbid, you could get, you go, you get hurt from the rocket that hits the house. If you go in there, you could get COVID. So what do you do? So you have a dilemma, which that dilemma, I guarantee you, doesn't exist anywhere in the world. Okay. What, 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 what do I do in a case like that? So, what I find amazing is not just the cement, but the size of the yeshiva, that uh, you're one of the largest yeshivotas there, despite the location, or maybe it's because of the location. When, when you look at the Talmudim, they choose, obviously, Fandel, Fandel is a, a wonderful Rosh Yeshiva. He's spoken at Kins as well, but uh, is it possible that uh, that element of chalutziut is what is bringing the people forward, bringing the boys to learn? So that's what I tell when I when people come to visit Stero, visit the yeshiva. So first of all, we are the largest yeshiva in Hester. Mm -hmm. 
Really? We are the largest. Based on the numbers that a few months ago they put out, the, the Hester Yeshiva Union put out. Uh, and I think it's precisely because of the fact that where we are. I think that's a very, I think very, think a very important thing to be proud of, that the, the young generation in Israel, and I believe also in, in Chutzlaretz, uh, you know, wants to do good, are looking for places to make a difference. And I think one of the draws of Sterot is that the boys know they're coming to a place that needs them. And it's, it's always been the, the fact, the reality. You mentioned Rabbi Fendel. When he came to Sterot 25 years ago to build the yeshiva, he didn't know any rockets back then. There were no rockets 25 years ago. He didn't know what he was getting into, like I always say. He came there because it was a development town. It was a poor city that needed chizuk from a, from a religious, spiritual standpoint. He wanted to do kiruv in a way to make a yeshiva there. The fact that the rockets started falling afterwards just made the yeshiva's position in the city much that more important. That now that, that when rockets do fall and when the security situation gets bad, the city looks at us as a beacon so to say, look at these guys, these boys, these young, these young men coming from all over the country. And they don't run away when the things get bad. No, they're, they're there. And on the contrary, part of what they do in the city when times get bad is when they volunteer, they go around making sure the families are okay. And the, the yeshiva is very connected to the city. That's one thing which, I mean, I've been in a lot of yeshivas, and I, I can't tell you how much this yeshiva is really a part of the community, a part of the city. And remember, the city is not... You know, the majority is not religious. That even makes it even more of a, of, of a miracle, so to say, that the, the, the yeshiva's relationship with the city is unbelievable. How big, how big is Stero today? Stero today is also another miracle. It's closing into 30,000 people. And, it, the, the, and, and at Rabbi I want to tell you, when, when in Ritz Hashem, the skies open up again and people could come back there to Israel, I mean, to come to Stero today and to see the building going on as we speak, there's, a, there's building at, literally... Every direction that you look in the city, you see cranes. More building, if it's private homes, if it's apartment buildings, it's it's unbelievable. It, it, it's unbelievable, and I could say I don't like the, the pun. No pun intended. The boom of the building is the boom that I like to hear, not the booming coming from. And in spite of everything, and I you said it before. I think it it, it very connected to Purim, that you know we're always going to have enemies that are trying to destroy us, but that's what makes us stronger. The resilience, the people in Sterot, you called it chalutziut, you called it to being a pioneer. The fact, the more they try to hurt us, the more we grow. The more they try, you know, the every, for every rocket, the more, the more buildings we'll build. And you, you have over 500 students in Yeshiva today. Right, with the boy, together with the boys in the army, right, true. And how many, how many are from Chutzlaretz? I assume now you probably don't have many at all. No, and, and to tell you the truth, um, so we, we, they trickle in. They really trickle in. I think, you know, I can tell you some stories here. Rabbi Fendel has been on the phone with boys that wanted to come. And then, of course, the, the line is that my parents don't want me there because, again, the stereotype is it's, it's dangerous. And, you know, the rockets. We tell the parents that's why the opening statement is, but, but it's, a safe, it's a safe building. There's 1,500 tons of cement over there. But still, it's still scary for, 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 for Chutznikim, for American boys. We, but again, even the two or three that we get a year, we're very happy with. God willing, when things will really quiet down and people will see that it, it's not as scary as it seems, hopefully we'll, get, we'll, we'll have more. Because like you said before, it's a great yeshiva. Uh, you have a Rosh Yeshiva who's an American who speaks English. How many yeshivas could, could really brag about that? Uh, and, it, it's just, and just to be in a place where you know you're making a difference, I mean, it says it all.
So briefly, we had exchanged in emails, and you were telling me about the Kimcha de Pisca project you have, which we call Moschiti. Um, it's something the yeshiva does for the community? What are, like, is that it, one yeah, again, it's something which is also very unique, that the yeshiva, you know, usually yeshiva, any institution, you know, is raising money for itself. Here we say no. Here we understand, again, part of, uh, part of our, I would say, mission statement is to be there for the people. Now, we have the connections, so why not help the people that need it? And every year, we do it twice a year before Pesach, before Rosh Hashanah, we go on our campaign, we you know, send out emails to our friends, and we tell them, this, you're, you're helping the city, okay? You're helping the city, the yeshiva. Of course, a strong stay road is a strong yeshiva, and a strong yeshiva is a strong stay road, but this is for the people in the city and how much they appreciate it. And of course, I have to tell you, after COVID, again, just one number, which I saw, it, it really caught my eye, is that if, if unemployment in the city before COVID was only 4%, because really the city has been built up, now it's up to 17%. So it's, and I see it myself. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I can't say I'm an expert in economy, but I see also restaurants closing there and, you know, buildings for rent. So you see that it's hurt us as well as the rest of the world. I think the only thing that's really growing well in Israel now are the uh, new elections. Yes. And in fact, the mayor, the mayor of, uh, of Sterot is uh, going to be on the Naftali Bennett's list, high up as we were talking about. That's right. Um, and uh, we might lose a good mayor um, because he has been a very, he, his connection to the yeshiva, he was the executive director of the yeshiva uh, before he became mayor. So he's very connected to the yeshiva. I can just tell you one thing. I think, uh, Again, connected to the Megillah, I think, you know, my tefillot, and especially after the year we've had, uh, you know, elections at this time is not the greatest. Because as I don't have to tell you that when there's elections in Israel, if the, it's the furthest thing away, it doesn't cause achtus, doesn't cause unity. It causes more and more divisiveness. And we know the famous, the famous word in the Megillah that when Haman comes to Achashverosh and says to him, listen, there are people that Amechan mefuzar mefura ben amin that they're all scattered around the empire. But we know that our rabbis teach us that he, what he meant to say is now's the time to get them because they're all divisive and everything. Unfortunately, that's what you feel in Israel now, that in spite of COVID, in spite of what we've gone through, the people still you know, don't seem to, to be able to get together. And Sterot, of all places, is a place I always tell people where there is achtus, where there is unity. And people hopefully will hopefully learn from us. That's I can say. Yeah, but, but don't forget the end of the Megillah also, that Mordechai was only Ratsui Lerovechai. That's true. Even, even Mordechai. Even, even Mordechai. Mordechai. <laughs> he, had, he only had the majority. He never was able to get everybody on his even side. Even Mordechai. So it's good sometimes to have some disagreements. Because <laughs> in, in all, real, in, in all real, realism or reality, does it really impact the, the new elections, impact day-to-day -day life in Israel? Well, you know, th they were just talking about yesterday how this election campaign is a little, if it wouldn't be for, it's, it's a little sleepy, like they call it. It's not a lot of excitement. I mean, listen, when you go, where you're going into your fourth election within two years, it gets boring already. But, you know, listen, I think the people will wait to see what happens afterwards. I think people are tired of election after election. Uh, if it's the system is wrong. And I, th and I really believe, and I think that COVID has showed us, I think people do want to be together. People don't want to fight. People really want to help each other. And now when elections come along, the timing here is, you know, it's, it's not the greatest. That's for sure.
But uh, so if it affects daily life, I mean, listen, you know, now you see more. So the signs are going up now on the billboards and you, you, know, you want more people talking about it more. But I think, you know, like here, the news tonight is all full of all the restrictions going to have we're going to be on Purim. It's not like I'm very I'm upset personally. I've been going to the yeshiva uh, every perm that I've been there for the last five years. And I won't be able to go tomorrow night. A, because there's a, there's a lockdown, there's a curfew at night, so I won't be able to leave my house to drive there. And B, the yeshiva is being very, very careful uh, and only allowing people, only the Talmudim really, only the students, because they don't want to cause any, uh, you know, anything and to get anyone sick and to have another uh, outbreak of, of, of the sickness. And in terms of the yeshiva, they've been working with what you call capsules and we call bubbles, and and it's been working more or less. It's been working, though the yeshiva had its share. Um, like I personally, also I didn't get it from the yeshiva. I I was sick as well, but but the, the yeshiva also their number of boys got sick. And I think that happened more when they let when they went out. The, in the yeshiva itself, it's a very protected atmosphere, very controlled atmosphere. So the, and now the, the 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 yeshiva either you were sick or you've been vaccinated that the majority of the yeshiva has been sick or vaccinated. So in a way they're safe. Uh, and they didn't, but I heard most shuls are still not open, but the yeshivot were able to be inside. They, they are able to be inside because they got permission because they're really, I would say isolated. And they're only the people who come in are only the, the people who are there all the time. And the shuls know that they don't want to take that chance of people coming in and, you know, after being wherever they were beforehand. So so the shuls are still, most of them are still davening outside. Now they started this past week that if you were vaccinated or you were sick, you could go in the shul. But then that's, that, that starts as a, as a shul rabbi. I'm sure you appreciate this, the whole dilemma. But what do you do with the children? The children haven't been vaccinated. So what, what does the father do? He, he doesn't want to go to shul and leave his children at home. And so, it, so it, it's a lot of discussions have happened. I, I made a joke. It's not, it's not funny. But there, there's, there have been sparring around and, you know, Rabbanim have been writing. So I think HaKadosh Baruch Hu timed it perfectly. Now, now you have the whole year. Now there's Shilohs and Chuvos. There's Shiloh to Chuvot on every single holiday in the COVID. Now you have it. Now you have the full circle. But for instance, the boys who were isolated like that, were they allowed to go home for Shabbat if they wanted to? Or they had to be so at the beginning, they were not allowed to. And then they started saying, okay, they go after a month, but then they have to be careful when they go home. They can't see anyone. They have to stay at home. They can't go socialize with their friends. They have to know. So you understand it was almost impossible to control that. And that's why the guys did get sick. But what we were doing, all the yeshivas were doing this, all the Hesti yeshivas were doing this. I think even the, the, even the, the Haredi yeshivas were doing this, that when they came back, they had to be tested. Every time they came back, the, the Magen David Adon came to the yeshiva, and gave and gave the COVID test to the boys. And what's the biggest challenge post COVID that uh, the yeshiva is going to have? Post COVID, um, so I, I think it's going to. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll answer it backwards. That question. I think one of the things that always was unique about Steyrot was it was a very family oriented, very warm. The majority of the students are Sephardim, so I don't have to tell you how the Sephardim they're hugging and kissing. And they really had to, you know, stay away from that. I think the post-COVID, they're going to have to get used to, to do, do, doing that again because that was a beautiful thing of, of having the closeness, of being together. Um, and I think, you know, the post-COVID, I think people are going to just have to get used to, you know, again, even though it sounds, it sounds a little funny, but, you know, being face-to-face -face again, 
physical contact with us. I think people maybe got too used to talking through Zoom. I think that people are going to have to get back to uh, being you know, physical. One thing I hope does stay, and we've had this in the yeshiva, the yeshiva has been making weddings since we have a nice campus and the weddings aren't allowed to be large. So what the yeshiva has been doing is it's been, uh, people have been asking if they could use our grass, which is a very nice setting to have a small wedding and the yeshiva also has a catering that they also make so people could have very small weddings. And, you know, so maybe that will stay. I think the small weddings have been a, been, a, been a big bracha for everyone. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it does realign, but I'm just wondering that when things open up, we'll say, okay, it's over. Now I'm going to do, I'm going to throw a, a wedding like has never happened before. In that, history. That, <laughs> that, <laughs> so, oh, no. If the question is going to be which lessons we're going to learn which will stay with us from COVID. I think uh, I do think that people will realize and appreciate. I can say this about myself. Now, not, I mean, my parents live in Yerushalayim. Not even be able to see them as much as I did. I think people hopefully will appreciate more closeness of family, closeness of friends. You know, not to take things for granted. And I'll say it on your side of the ocean. I think people in Chutzlarts will realize how important it is to be in Eretz Yisrael. Because look, even yesterday, the Israelis were in Chutzlarts that they're not allowed to come back now are going crazy. I mean, they, they, they're spe- I mean, they're really, they're, they're, they're upset is not a word right now. And, but you understand why they have to close the sky because they're, they're, finally they understand that the majority of the sickness has been imported from Chutzlar. It's from people coming back. But I think that's, I, I hope we're going to have a mass, hopefully tourism will really, you know, hit a high once the skies open up. Know, everybody is waiting. The, the people keep on telling me the first place they're going, they got to get to Israel and they're going to celebrate. Visit, and our time is up, Rabbi Katz, but they're going to come visit Sterot and hopefully make your job as the uh, fundraiser for the Yeshiva you're, Public Relations even easier. You're all welcome. <laughs> I, I, the, the, I, I would love it. Right now, you know, it's, very, it's, it's been a very quiet year and been depressing, but please come. Well, and on that note, I thank you for your time. Please, thank you. my best to your wife and your kids, your brother, your sister-in-law, former, former members of KINS. And uh, thank you so very much for your time today, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Regards to you. Purim Sameach. Purim Sameach. Thank you so much. Take care.